0: Welcome back to Sports Crutch with crown I'm your host, David Cromwell, and it's Week 7 of the 2017 NFL season, and it began last night with one of the wildest endings to a football game I've ever seen, as the Raiders picked up a huge last-second win against the Chiefs 31-30, and they needed it badly. And to discuss this and the rest of the Week 7 action, it's a pleasure to welcome back yet again our good friend, Hal Bent, back to the show. Hal is the Patriots writer for musketfire.com, cover32.com, and Scout Media. Hal, great to have you back as always. How are you doing?
1: I'm doing great, David. Thank you for having me back.
0: You're very welcome, Hal. And uh, let's get it started. Uh, What were your big takeaways from week six and last night?
1: Well, week six, the takeaways were, you know, you could lump them both together here and say Kansas City is mortal after all. (laughs) of course dropping the you know two games in a row you had the shocking um upset of denver all of a sudden there's life in the new york giants the inconsistency among the league continues with miami upsetting atlanta in week six um seeing the bears actually pulling out a victory uh the jets Almost should have beating the defending Super Bowl champions. So, week six in the NFL was business as usual. Who knows what's going on?
0: You said it. Who knows what's going on, indeed? And if you look at the season, and thank you, Hal, for providing us this stat courtesy of Peter King, a legendary NFL columnist of Sports Illustrated and the MMQB.com. 27 of 32 teams have two, three, or four wins. And and the, yes, the NFL was always meant to be a league of parody, but I have never ever seen a season where the picture was this murky uh, uh, for the race the Super Bowl. That is, and uh, the the season that the injury to Aaron Rodgers, which, for the record, deflated me even more than that Broncos game last Sunday, personally. Uh, it, it it only makes it more uncertain given that injury to Aaron Rodgers. And uh, my question is, uh, do you remember a season where the race to the Super Bowl seemed this wide open?
1: The only year I can think of, and we're going way back, 25 years to when I was, uh, I won't say my age, but I was still kind of young then. <laughs> going back to 1982, was it, with the strike season? in the nfl and you know it was an abbreviated schedule you had the playoffs were wide open because they didn't play enough games and nobody ever got their footing the, the you know even the, even the second strike after that with the replacement players wasn't this murky um like uh, you know this year is with so much parity.
0: absolutely and uh, it's hard to see a clear front runner right now because every team has their strengths, but each team that I can think of that is championship caliber has a weakness that could very well derail them in the postseason.
1: That's absolutely true. And what we're going to be looking for in the second half is a team that comes out like Atlanta, which had that high flying offense and the other side of the ball came along in the second half with gradual improvement week after week. Until getting to the postseason where they were finally a complete team, but it took the full 16 weeks to get there. So, you know, we've still got 10 weeks to go to see who's going to put it all together.
0: We most certainly do, and and for the record, folks, that was a reference to last year's Falcons team, obviously, because this year's Falcons team, as we're going to talk about it a little bit, they have a Super Bowl hangover after all. It's not just any Super Bowl hangover. It is a massive Super Bowl hangover. The, the, the games that they've been losing and the fashion that they've been losing is very, very uh, alarming, and uh, before we uh, preview the game between the Cardinals and the Rams, let's talk about last night's thriller between the chiefs and Raiders have you ever seen a finish like that hal to a game like like three untimed downs like when have we seen that
1: I I never remember seeing anything like that I mean one untimed down is a rarity to begin with just having a play like that stands out when you see one or two of those in the entire season but play after play after play after play it was It was just mind-bending.
0: It most certainly was. But uh, going back to the Raiders for a second, this was obviously a very, very important win for the Raiders because the gap between three and four and two and five is massive in, in especially in a year where there's this much parity. And the Raiders, who you and many others were saying before the season, had the best chance at dethroning the Patriots in the AFC. They finally started to look like. They did last year. Derek Carr finally looked like his MVP self, but I believe an even bigger reason was that Amari Cooper, like Amari Cooper ain't a bust, folks. He just, like this new offensive coordinator, like uh, didn't know how to utilize him, and I think they found a way to utilize him last night. Uh, Why do you think Amari Cooper was able to um, uh, play like the player we all knew him to be?
1: I mean, he's just overloaded with talent. And, you know, I was looking at him before the game, and I'm saying – You know, when you're seeing games where he's got one reception, three targets, like he said, that's that's a play-calling problem. You can put it on the fact that there's a backup quarterback out there, that Michael Crabtree's the red zone target, that they're trying to get Cook involved at tight end more. But, you know, you've got a talent like that. It's just a matter of time. You know, these wide receivers that are big, that are strong, that are fast— if they're healthy, you can slow them down for a week or two, but you're not going to hold them down completely. And and Oakland realized that's where the problem was. And I think, you know, Carr looking on the sidelines said, hey, you know, I see what's wrong with this offense. Now that I'm back on the field, I'm going to fix it and fix it in a big way.
0: Yes, and I and the Raiders' offensive coordinator Todd Downing, who I believe it's important to know, people, this is his first year as offensive coordinator, and he doesn't have that much that much experience calling plays. Uh, I a lot. I think it was just uh, him getting used to everything, and the Raiders getting used to him. And I think they might have uh, finally hit the switch. And I think uh, this could only be the beginning of
1: the Raiders finally looking like themselves on offense for the rest of the year. What do you think? I think that's a great point and it's one that doesn't get made enough is you know, you see teams that are flipping coordinators year after year and you know, you have to build that consistency with the coordinators, with the play callers, knowing the quarterback's strengths and weaknesses, giving them that role. And you know, it looks like Oakland's back on track, but I don't know. Did the Marshawn Lynch experience from that game, which is, you know, kind of fading in the background because of that finish with the ejection. And now they're saying there's a one game suspension for him. Um, You know, that could be a locker room problem right there where when was the the last time you saw a player rush onto the field to defend a player on the opposing team like Lynch did?
0: Yes, and not only that, like a, like Marshawn Lynch, uh, uh, the Raiders obviously thought he had something left in the tank. And yes, him being from Oakland, uh, and the Raiders uh, being uh, able to contend with a Super Bowl with the talent they have, especially at offense, uh, it was that the, the, they like obviously wanted to keep ticket sales going up because some of the fan base is uh, probably uh, is absolutely upset. Ah, uh, because the team is only going to be in Oakland for another season or two before they officially uh, move to Vegas. Uh, but uh, th- uh, all of that aside, uh, Marshawn Lynch uh, power running. Y- yes, you have the offensive line to do it, but Lynch isn't the guy to do it. And taking the ball out of Derek Carr's hands for for the, for long stretches of time—that isn't how the Raiders are built to win. This is still Derek Carr's offense, and you got to depend on Derek Carr throwing the football more. So maybe they might be better off without Lynch. What do you think?
1: Oh, I, I agree completely. And, you know, if Lynch was still the player he was five years ago, he'd still be in Seattle. They would have found a way to make that work. And, you know, we've always said running backs, once they get on the other side of 30, that's when the problems start. And, you know, Lynch is under four yards per uh, rushing attempt this season. He just doesn't have that burst like you indicated. And, you know, again, integrating those new players into the offense, integrating a new offensive coordinator into the system, you know, that's a lot of the problem that they've had on offense this year and getting back to the basics and saying, hey, let's get it to our big play players, get the ball in their hands one way or another. That certainly seemed to help them break out of that slump last night.
0: It most certainly did. And let's uh, talk about the Chiefs for a little bit here. Uh, what I obviously noticed is that their defense, they absolutely miss Eric Berry. The injury they had to Eric Berry in week one, it is showing now as uh, they were able to shut down Rob Gronkowski last night. And I i, I mean in week one. And last night, Jared Cook uh, got over 100 yards receiving against them. And, and their pass rush couldn't get home. And when their pass rush doesn't get home, but um, uh, if you look at that secondary, San's Marcus Peters, they have total liabilities everywhere. And uh, the loss of Eric Berry, I think, could be the thing that uh, prevents the Chiefs from reaching the Super Bowl this year. What do you think?
1: I agree. You, Like you mentioned, after week one, you brought that up as one of the biggest concerns with the Chiefs was, you know, that loss of Berry. And to a defense like that, that's like losing your quarterback, you know. You don't have a replacement Sitting on the bench ready to come in and do everything that Barry did affect both the, the running game, the passing game, get everybody lined up, have them in the right spots and, you know, mitigate the fact that outside of Peters, there are some weak spots in that secondary and, you know, Oakland last night, that offensive line, we've been waiting to see them perform like that dominant unit they were last night and at least on the edges. They held the Chiefs' pass rush back, and it allowed Carr to just sit there and pick them apart in the secondary.
0: They most certainly did, and now let's continue with the rest of these Week 7 matchups, starting with uh, the Cardinals taking on the Rams in one of the noon games that'll happen at Twickenham Stadium in the UK, and uh, this game is intriguing because both of these teams are in a wide-open division right now with the Rams currently on top of the Division 4 or 2, but the Cardinals coming off... um, through. An impressive win over the Buccaneers at 3-3, and and it was in large part due to Adrian Peterson, who uh, gave one of the most inspiring, odds-defying performances in NFL history, arguably. A lot of people were saying Adrian Peterson was washed up. He was done. He didn't have anything left, and this trade wouldn't do anything for the Cardinals. But he seemed to have found fresh legs in the desert as he absolutely exploded with over 150 yards on the ground and two touchdowns, and he would have had even more uh, had um, won a long run had not been called back on a pen, on a penalty. So uh, the t- talk of Adrian Peterson being completely done, I think, was premature, as you saw last week. Um, so can Adrian Peterson help lead the Cardinals back to the playoffs? Do you think last week was a fluke, or do you think uh, this uh, Adrian Peterson might have found a comfortable space um, with the Cardinals to finish his career?
1: well it was certainly surprising i'll tell you that there's no way i would have pegged him for 134 yards and two touchdowns in his first game i thought it would be kind of the opposite performance but i'm not ready to buy in on any 32 year old running back in the league right now um it was a it was a motivated performance for that first game but you know we're only in week seven and there's a long way to go in this season and a 32 year old running back Thirty-four-year-old wide receiver, thirty-seven-year-old quarterback. It's hard to keep all of them on the field for those sixteen games, and that's going to be the challenge Arizona is going to have: is maximizing that talent, where you know they all three of their key skill position players are on the wrong side of thirty.
0: Most definitely. And with the offensive line for the Cardinals, uh, they have to be very concerned because I'm not sure Carson Palmer can hold up uh, behind that um, offensive line. And uh, the Rams on the other end, yes, they currently lead the division, but their early season success on offense have begun to fade away a little bit. Like, yes, they beat the Jaguars last week, but that was in part due to two special teams touchdowns. The offense uh, was efficient, but not how they looked in the first couple weeks of the season. Uh, what do they have to do offensively in order to recapture some of that early season mojo?
1: They need a lot of Todd Gurley. That's what's going to to help this team is to establish the run, let Goff play off of that play action, because that's what's really going to open up things for him. And you see when they go up against, like you said, a strong defense, and let's not discount Jacksonville. That's a top five defense in the NFL right now. And the fact that they were able to hang in that game and pull it out with the special teams um, plays to to get them enough points to get them over the hump is impressive. And, you know, Jared Goff is still still looks like an impressive quarterback. Nobody's looked good against Jacksonville, really, other than one little hiccup game there. So keep feeding Todd Gurley. Keep get, establishing that running game and take the pressure off your young quarterback. That's what the Rams need to do on offense. Absolutely. And who do you think wins this game and why? I've got the Rams pulling out a close one, 27 to 24. I, I just don't know if you know Arizona can lean on Adrian Peterson like they're going to need to do each week in order to get that offense running at full speed with that running game which it desperately needs.
0: Yes, I have the Rams in a close one as well, thirty-one to twenty seven. And you mentioned defense. Uh look no further than the Bengals and Steelers because I smell a defensive struggle of this game. The Cincinnati Bagels, they're back to playing great defense. Not only are they the number two, I'm a Total defense in the NFL at the moment. Uh, That is in large part due to their lethal front seven. You obviously have Geno Atkins and Carlos Dunlap, but you also add amazing rookie Carl Lawson and rookie Jordan Willis. And they have added that dimension to the pass rush that has um, brought it back to the level that it was in the early part of the decade. And also uh, linebacker Nick Vigil, second-year player out of Utah State. Along with Vontaze Perfect, uh, they have like, are developing like a Luke Keeley, Thomas Davis type combo there. So that front seven is amazing. And the Steelers, if you told me that the Steelers were going to be the number one defense in the league against the pass at this point before the season, I would have say you're drunk. But they are absolutely the best pass defense of the NFL so far, along with the Jacksonville Jaguars. And, uh... If uh, T.J. Watt can uh, get healthy and uh, and recapture some of that magic he had in the first week of the season against the Browns and, uh, and they get more pressure on the quarterback and Cam Hayward obviously playing out of his mind, the Steelers, the way they're playing on defense and with what they have on offense, that could be enough to get them back to the mm-hmm. Super Bowl this year. Uh, but looking at this game with the Bengals, I think this has a low-scoring defensive struggle written all over it. Do you? it
1: i think it will to an extent i'm not sure how cincinnati if they're going to be able to break away with that offense they've been improving obviously the loss of tyler eford has been huge for that offense and is a big step backwards but they're also getting their first round draft pick john ross hopefully will be back out on the field this week for them and to finally have that that big play target again opposite of A.J. Green is a huge boost for that offense as well. So not a low-scoring game, but not a high-scoring game either. I'm kind of going in the middle.
0: Yeah, I I see like a game close to around 40 points or just slightly above or slightly under 40. I agree. And uh, what matchup in this game are you watching the most and, and also that you think will have the biggest impact on the outcome?
1: Well, it's going to be Geno Atkins right in the middle of that pittsburgh interior offensive line you know that offensive line for pittsburgh has really been playing very well in the last couple of weeks but geno atkins you know for a player who fell off the face of the planet once he got injured and there was concern that he'd ever get back to the level he was at previously he certainly changed everybody's minds through the first six weeks of the season he's been one of the most dominant defensive tackles in the game right now and so for Pittsburgh, they're going to have to focus a lot of attention and win that individual battle at times with Geno Atkins.
0: Yeah, David DeCastro and Marquise Pouncey against Geno Atkins could be the game-deciding matchup there. And uh, who do you have winning this
1: game? I'm actually taking the Bengals. I, I like the the way that they've been growing and improving week after week. The Steelers' offense, I don't know what's going on with that group. I think it's, you know... The, the loss of Marcus Gilbert at right tackle, has that been the, the, the deciding factor that's thrown them so out of whack? I'm not sure, but that seems to be the only big change in that offense. So I'm going to take the Bengals 24-17. to 17.
0: It wouldn't shock me at all if the Bengals won this game at all Uh, both teams match up very well with one another but I just see the Steelers hanging tough at home and eking out a very close win 19 to 17 and for a game that we were all anticipating since the schedule came out in April the rematch of Super Bowl 51 as the Falcons and Patriots meet again in Foxborough on Sunday Night Football and as I alluded to earlier uh, when they, over the year 3-0, and a lot of people were saying, ah, the Falcons have avoided the Super Bowl hangover, and I'm saying, I'm not sure, because uh, two of those first three wins uh, could easily have been losses, had Golden Tate just run his route a couple inches further, Lions would have won, and had Jordan Howard caught caught a ball near the end zone, the Bears could have beat them uh, in week one. So, and and now, fast forward, the Super Bowl hangover is clearer than ever. What are the main symptoms of that hangover
1: that the Falcons are dealing with right now in your view? I mean, some of it is simply bad luck. I mean, if you look at Matt Ryan, he's already thrown six interceptions this year um, after, you know, didn't seem like for a while he was ever going to throw another interception last year. And, you know, a lot of those have come on passes that the receiver should have caught or were deflected or tipped. But, you know, it takes a lot of luck for any team get to the Super Bowl you got to be lucky with your health you've got to be get those bounces you win those turnover differential sometimes just based on a bounce and Atlanta had a lot of luck that went their way winning close games and sometimes the ball bounces the other way and it's it's whether you let that compound or whether you get off the schneid and turn that luck around by refocusing any team coming off a super bowl loss like that, you know, there's just no way to avoid that that super bowl hangover when you lose a game like that. And so the way, the way that Atlanta has struggled isn't really a surprise. What's going to be really interesting is what happens after this big game this week and whether that momentum goes them down into a tailspin or they turn themselves around and get back on track.
0: Yes, how they respond in this game and following this game is going to be big. And uh, when you look at the Patriots in this game now, I see an opportunity for them to make a statement in this game that will reestablish themselves as the team to beat. Uh, Do you see this as such an opportunity? And if so, what do the Patriots need to do in order to not only win but make such a
1: statement? Well, I think the Patriots right now, with with the state of their defense, how they've been, You know, it looks like the defense is finally turning a little corner. You know, they've improved the rushing defense. They've only allowed an average of 82 yards a game in the last two weeks. They're allowing an average of 15 and a half points in the last two weeks after averaging more than double that they've allowed in the first four weeks of the season. So you see a little turnaround on defense, but at the same time, you know, going up against Julio Jones, Mohamed Sanu should be – probably playing this week it looks like and they're going to be lacking starting cornerback Stefan Gilmore and Eric Rowe and introducing the national audience audience to Jordan Badamosi at cornerback in the prime time yeah. trying he's to mainly a special teamer exactly he's been mostly a special teamer he's had a little bit of experience and you know, last week he got thrust out there against the Jets and seemed to hold his own, but, you know, and Curley isn't Julio Jones, and this is that's a tough matchup for the Patriots being shorthanded in the secondary on Sunday night.
0: Yeah, it most certainly is. Plus, uh, yes, they've improved their run defense as well, but going against uh, Devontae Freeman and Tevin Coleman, um, who are good at not just running the ball but catching the ball, I think uh, the Patriots uh, might have their hands full on, on Sunday night against a Falcons team that is wounded and backed into a corner. And and Dan Quinn, you will assume, will have them ready to come out firing. Uh, who do you think wins this game and why? The rematch of Super Bowl 52. I mean 51. Well,
1: <laughs> <laughs> it could be 52. We don't know yet. So maybe. Um, I'm yet. still picking the Patriots, but I think it's going to be close. I have them 24 to 22. You know, they didn't have Rob Gronkowski last year in the Super Bowl. That's a big boost to their offense, having Gronkowski there. Atlanta is going to try to counter with their young um, linebacker, probably in coverage. It's mostly been Devontae Campbell. Um, he was last seen by Patriots fans mugging Martellus Bennett at the goal line in the Super Bowl and setting up that game-winning touchdown, so... How he handles Rob Gronkowski is going to be a big part of the game, but also the running game for New England. They're going to have Rex Burkhead back. At running back, they're going to have all four of their four-headed attack going, and this is an Atlanta team that just got trampled by Jay Ajayi and the Dolphins last week. So New England may be looking at you know dialing back on that vertical passing attack, grinding out some yards, and, and just winning a close game at home and moving on. I have the Patriots
0: winning too, but I have them winning rather comfortably by a two-touchdown score of 35-21. to I definitely think that running game uh, has an opportunity to get back on track, and they'll be able to keep Nat Ryan and that offense off the field for long stretches of time. And the Patriots make that statement on Sunday night, telling the NFL that we are still the team to beat, and you better figure out a way to beat us, because we're only getting better from here on out. And moving to the Monday night showdown, an NFC East showdown between the... Philadelphia Eagles, who currently possess the NFL's best record at 5-1, and one, taking on the Washington Redskins. And uh, last Sunday, after Aaron Rodgers got hurt, uh, Benjamin Albright, NFL insider and good friend of the program, tweeted out that he thinks the Redskins and Eagles are the two best teams in the
1: NFC at this moment. It is a, it, it Is it a stretch to suggest that? It's not a stretch for the Eagles. I'm not going there on the Redskins. They're good, but right now I would definitely say take Aaron Rogers out of green Bay and Philadelphia is the team to beat out in the NFC right now.
0: It sure looks like that. And especially when you bring up the Redskins, considering the injuries they are dealing with on defense, they lost amazing rookie defensive lineman Jonathan Allen for hopefully not for the rest of the season, but for at least eight weeks due to a list Frank injury that he got surgery for this week. And, uh, starting cornerbacks Josh Norman and Bashad Breeland are iffy to play in this game after practicing on a limited basis so far uh, this week. Um, so if, assuming Josh Norman and Bashad Breeland can't go, how can the Redskins beat the Eagles without those two cornerbacks?
1: Well, I mean, they had, they, for the first 45 minutes or so against San Francisco, you know, Quentin Dunbar and Kendall Fuller really stepped up without Norman, and when Breland went out injured, so those players stepped up. They did all right, but at the same time, you know, 17 to nothing lead um, disappearing like it did against an offense in San Francisco, which is an interesting offense, but not certainly a high-powered one yet. That uh, Kyle Shanahan still got a lot of tinkering to do there, so. That wasn't a very good sign in Washington. So going up against Carson Wentz, who's just, you know, been dynamic this season, um, is going to be a very tough test for this Washington defense on Monday night.
0: It absolutely will be, especially given how well, how amazingly the Eagles have been balanced on offense between running and passing the ball. Garrett Blount um, running the ball behind that offensive line, which should have Lane Johnson back for this game, by the way, uh, has been impressive. And that, uh, and Carson Wentz uh, and the development of Nelson Aguilar and Alshon Jeffrey being as good as uh, people expected him to be. And Zach Ertz, the chemistry he's developed, this Eagles offense could be the most balanced attack in the National Football League going forward this year. And who do you have winning this game and why?
1: Uh, I've still got Philadelphia. I think, you know, they've just got too much offense. Carson Wentz is, you know, he's connecting on the deep passes this year so much better than he did last year. And uh, a beat-up Washington defense is just going to have too much trouble stopping that philadelphia attack and i see philadelphia 30 to 23 over the redskins
0: i see a very close game but those injuries in the redskins secondary are going to prove uh, costly yes the Eagles secondary isn't um the best secondary right now either, and I expect Kirk Cousins to find some success against them, but in the end, I go with Carson Wentz of the Eagles eking out a victory, 26-23. to 23. And once again, he's Hal Bentley's gentlemen. He covers the New England Patriots for Scout Media, musketfire.com, and cover32.com. And Hal, we thank you once again for joining the program, but you know we always finish up our shows each week with a little rapid-fire segment, and we are going to do even more rapid-fire. We're going to do a two-minute drill here and try to predict the rest of these Week 7 games in under two minutes. I've got the timer ready, and it starts right now,
1: starting with the Buccaneers and Bills. I am taking Tampa Bay in this game against my better judgment, 21-20 to 20 over the Bills.
0: The Buccaneers definitely need a win, and Jameis Winston is banged up. He should be able to play through the pain. but I just think that Bill's defense is too tough. Bill's win. Panthers and Bears.
1: I'm picking the big upset in this one. Come on, Bears. Akeem Hicks is the uh, big star of that defensive line, uh, shutting down the Panthers' attack on uh, the rushing attack. So I see the Bears 20-16 to 16 over the Panthers.
0: Panthers' run defense will make the Bears' offense one-dimensional, and since he has no wide receiver help, the Bears' offense won't be able to get anything done. Panthers win. Titans-Browns, what do you got?
1: Oh, well, I, I, I just can't pick Cleveland. I'm sorry. I just can't do it as good as Miles Garrett has done. Deshaun Kaiser back in the fold. I'm going Tennessee Titans with a heavy dose of Travis Henry, 27-17 over the Browns.
0: Yeah, that is Derek Henry, and I agree.
1: Saints oh, win. We're under a minute. Saints Packers. Let's go. Saints thirty-one to seventeen. Sorry, Brett Hundley. It's not going to work this week. Yep. And with that improved
0: Saints defense, I agree. Jaguars Colts. Big AFC South showdown.
1: Got to go with the Jaguars. Too much defense right now. Nineteen to sixteen. Jags.
0: I agree. And the what could be the battle for second place in the AFC East? Jets at Dolphins.
1: Comes down to the Bears, former Bears quarterbacks here, and I think McCown's better than Cutler. Jets 22-17 over the Dolphins.
0: I'm taking the Dolphins in that defense. 20 seconds. Ravens, Vikings.
1: Uh, Vikings, even with the injuries, Stefan Diggs, still too much offense there. 27-13 over the Ravens.
0: I... I like the Vikings in that defense at home too. Cowboys and 49ers nine seconds
1: must win game for the Cowboys. I think 49ers still pull out their first win 24 20.
0: Well I like the Cowboys for that reason
1: Broncos and
0: Chargers.
1: Uh, Here comes the Chargers another crazy week. Why not another upset 20 to 16 Chargers.
0: Chargers over the Broncos is not an upset man the Broncos are banged up and their offense (laughs) is severely limited by Trevor Simeon so the Chargers I like them too they're it's not an upset Hal and last but not least Seahawks at the team that uh, embarrassed the Broncos last week the New York Giants
1: you know I look at the Giants and I say there's no way they can win but I said that last week too so why not Giants 20 to 13 over a Seahawks team that's traveling across three time zones.
0: The Giants' defense will keep them in the
1: game um, throughout, but I believe the
0: Seahawks and their defense force some key turnovers, and that'll be the difference of the game as the Seahawks beat the Giants. And that's all for today here on Sports Crunch with D. Krom, but we'll be back next week with a look at Week 8, so stay tuned. And also be sure to check out the episode archive as well as an up-to-date blog of mine at sportscrunch.com. And remember, that is K-R-U-N-C-H. For Hal Bent, our producer Chris Broadhead, I'm David Kromelow saying so long, and of course, stay awesome.